could sing a song as I often do but every song Except for hearts singing hallelujah, hallelujah. I've got one. Good morning, Southview. I'm Ryan Colpitz. I'm your student pastor here at Southview Baptist Church, and I'm so excited you chose to come and worship with us today. Here are your big three announcements for the week. First, we have our Joy Lunch coming up. They're going to be having a Valentine's Day lunch on February 14th at 11.30 a.m. This is our senior adult ministry, and if you'd like to come out and be involved in that, we have a sign-up sheet outside the church offices. Second, we have our, our missions team is having a fundraising dinner coming up in a silent auction on March 18th. Uh, the cost for the dinner is $8, and if you'd like to order your ticket for that dinner, you can do so by texting the word TICKET to 910-424-1298. Also, we have lots of different opportunities where you can get involved and serve here at Southview. You can serve with our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our worship ministry, and our first impressions team. We're also encouraging everyone to download our Southview Baptist Church app. It has a lot of different features that'll help you get connected here at the church. You can access all of our other announcements, sign up for events, you can find a journey group, uh, you can view previous sermons, or even access notes for today's sermon. You're also able to give through the app. 
Um, you can give online as well, or you can give the boxes outside the doors as you leave. Uh, so we encourage you, there, there's multiple ways for you to give here at Southview. And if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you here. We're so excited you chose to come and worship with us this morning, and we'd love to get to know you. And, and one of the easiest ways that you can help us do that is just by texting the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. And what that does is that allows us just to get a little bit more information about you, to, to start to build a relationship with you, to know how we can pray for you, and how we can better minister to you as a church staff. So again, thank you for choosing to come and worship with us today. We hope you have a blessed service. All right, well, good morning, church. How is everybody? I am so glad to be here. Stand with us. Let's make much of the name of Christ. Let's worship together. Christ is our victory. He is our hope. falls, it won't prevail, cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph, my God will never fail, no, my God will never fail, I'm gonna see a victory, I'm gonna see a victory.
psalmist says in 118, Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side. He says, I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And he goes on, and then later on, in that same passage, he says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Lord, I thank you for every soul represented here. I thank you for the ones that have walked with you for decades. I thank you for the ones who have maybe never heard the gospel come alive. God, I thank you for all the challenges you've given us today. I thank you for the terrible, terrible things you are putting us through because it causes us to focus on you. I pray that we would look to you, not merely to save us, but to embrace us. Let us value you because you are worthy to be valued. Let us see you for who you really are. Let us taste and see that you are good. I pray that souls that have turned away, that have never heard the gospel, would hear it today say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. Father, we love you. We thank you for trials. We thank you for good times. We thank you for everything that you put in front of us. It was an opportunity to glorify your name. In Christ's name.
we jump into the word today, I want to introduce some folk to you. I'm going to ask um, our new deacons that we are bringing on to serve, uh, to join me. So I believe Jeff, Range and his wife Beth, we had Ken Dean and his wife Angie, Bud Jackson and his wife Mary and Ron Garcia and his wife Mia. There we go, right there. So come on up guys, just right across here would be great. So... For us as a church, we, um, we believe the Bible teaches that there are two specific offices that every church should have, pastor and deacon. Now, we have more positions than that, obviously, most churches do, and that's perfectly fine. The Bible gives freedom for that, but there are two, we believe, that should be in every New Testament Bible-believing church, that's pastor and deacon. Pastor serves to lead and shepherd the congregations, and deacons are called by God to help serve in practical ministry, to serve you as the body, as the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we have that as a church here. We're super blessed for our deacons. Um, we're in the process now. So what you'll, if you're a member of Southview, you'll be assigned a deacon. Um, and in just a few weeks, you'll get some communication from us as to who your deacon is. You'll hear from your deacon. And, and basically, they're kind of the frontline ministry for us, right? They want to touch base with you regularly, see how you are. If you're in need, that's who your contact is going to be so we can figure out how to serve you best. And God has blessed us here with an amazing group of men to serve as Deacon, and we're excited to have these guys join us as well. So uh, I'll introduce you. So this is Jeff, uh, Jeff Range, and his wife Beth. Jeff um, and his wife Beth moved down from Ohio a couple years ago. Jeff has served as a deacon in previous churches for years, served as uh, chairman of uh, uh, previous deacon ministry, so we're so excited to have him here, bringing his experience with him as a deacon. Uh, then we've got Ron, his wife Mia, Ken, his wife Angie, and Bud, and his wife Mary. And so for Ron and Ken and Bud, they're coming on to serve as deacons for the very first time. And so really excited about that. One of the things that should be a mark for a church is that we're raising up new people to serve in ministries, right? We don't cycle through the same crew, but we raise up new people to serve in various ways. And these men have risen up to serve as a deacon. In Acts chapter 6 kind of gives the idea of deacon ministry in the church. And Acts 6 says that we are to seek out men who are um, of good reputation, they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're full of wisdom. We're to raise those men up to serve. And then it says in Acts 6, we're to gather around them, lay our hands on them, and pray for them to uh, set them off in this task. That's exactly what we want to do for these guys here and their wives. So I'm going to ask if um, you're in the room today and uh, um, you're uh, one of our guys here, you've served either as a deacon or a pastor perhaps, either here or somewhere else, I'm going to ask you to come forward, all right? We're just going to gather around these folk and lay our hands on them and pray for them. So if you've ever served in any capacity like that, whether you're currently now or you have in the past, I'm going to ask you just to come on up. We want to gather around these folk and pray for them. So just kind of huddle in, guys. So they can gather around 
We can lift you guys up in prayer. And I want to ask you as a congregation to be praying for them as well. Um, that uh, God would have his hand on them and empower them to serve you as a body well. And what I want you to see in this is that we take ministering to you really seriously. Like, that's something very important to us. Um, we want to make sure we do that well. We are not perfect and we swing and miss for sure. But we take it seriously. We really care about that. And so we want to raise up uh, men and women to serve you well. And this is an example of that. So if you can just pray with us, we want to lift these folk up as we set them off for this task. So Lord, I just thank you for these men. I thank you, Lord, for Jeff and for Ron, for Ken, for Bud. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in their lives. I thank you, God, all that you've done in them in saving them, in, in raising them up in spiritual maturity and preparing them for this task right now. I pray, God, that as we set them off on this task, Lord, that they would uh, be shot out by your Spirit, Lord. They'll be empowered by your Spirit to serve well and glorify and honor you. I pray, God, that you would empower them to minister and serve and bless and and care for those here in our body. And I pray for their wives. Lord, I lift up Mary and Angie and for Mia and for Beth. I pray, God, for them that you would empower them to care for their husbands uh, and, and, and help their husbands in this task and to serve well themselves this body. I thank you that every person up here represents someone who has really sought to give themselves to serve this body. And I thank you for that. I pray, God, you'll bless them and empower them. And I pray for us as a congregation that we will receive the blessing of being ministered to well for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, can you give them a hand? Thank you, guys. And for you all, before you head off, just a quick, a quick little gift to say thank you so much for your willingness to serve we love you guys. Mary, I'm going to give that to you. You can have it. You're very welcome, and you guys can have a seat. Once, give them one more big hand. Thank you, guys. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find uh, two places. We're going to be first in Second Chronicles. That's in your Old Testament. Then, in just a minute, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. That's in your New Testament. So if you're new to church and you thought, surely they can't make Christianity any more confusing, mission accomplished. 2 Chronicles is where we're going to start. That's in your Old Testament. And then 2 Corinthians is where we'll end. And that's going to be in your new. And if you are new to church, you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. You can grab that and follow along. Um, if you want a better Bible, maybe one that's leather, you can look in Lost and Found, take any of those you want. You may have to sharpie out the name written in the front, but that's okay. That's all right. Don't worry about that. And then we'll always have the scripture on the screen as well. Uh, as you're finding that, one more quick uh, announcement. Um, Pastor Ryan and his wife Emily welcomed their brand new baby girl to the world this weekend. So excited about that. <laughs> Miss Delaney June Culpitz. Uh, mom and baby are great. And, um, and uh, so like I said, uh, Ryan and Emily um, brought uh, little Delaney into the world. Well, Emily really did the bulk of the heavy lift and Ryan just stood there. But they... They welcomed uh, their brand new baby, so we're excited for them. Please, please be in prayer for them. All right, so 
We are working through a series we're calling If My People, and we get that from a scripture in the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And what we've said is the book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament is really a book about revival. How is it that God takes his people, right, his people who who know him and have a relationship with him, but to be honest, go through times of spiritual apathy, spiritual weakness, spiritual decline. So Second Chronicles seeks to answer the question of, okay, how does God revive us again? It's about revival. Kind of the working definition we've had with revival is, revival is the Spirit of God using the Word of God to put fresh spiritual life into the people of God. And we've been kind of working our way through the book of Second Chronicles, seeing this. And what we started with was the idea that revival is based off relationship with Christ. The idea that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus, and as a result of that, you are in an unbreaking covenant with Him, and He is never going to let you go. John 10 says that no one, including you, can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. Right? He has you. And so, since He has you... When we find ourselves falling away or find ourselves getting weak or find ourselves getting spiritually apathetic or find ourselves getting lukewarm, as the book of Revelation would say, we can turn to the Lord and come to Him because we know He's never left us. So we can turn to Him and be revived. And we've seen several tools that God uses to bring about this revival, right? We saw how God uses humility. You can't be revived if you're not humble. We said humility is emptying yourself to be nothing so that God can be everything. Then we saw this idea of seeking the face of God, and we said to seek God's face means to set aside everything in your life in order to pursue intimacy with Him. And then last week we looked at prayer. We saw that God-centered, faith-filled, fervent prayer moves the hand of God in revival. So I want to see this next tool for revival that God's going to use in our life. And you see that as you look back again at Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, the tool we're going to examine today is the tool of repentance. So here in Second Chronicles 7.14, it uses the word turn. In the Hebrew, the word turn is shuv. Shuv, all right? And it's used 118 times in the Old Testament. And every time you see the word shove, literally God is seeking to shove his people in the right direction. Right? The point is, you're going the wrong way, you're going away from me, and God is seeking to shove you back towards him. And this idea of turning is a mega theme in your Bible. Repentance is a mega theme in your Bible. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, in Moses' farewell address, three different times in one chapter, he tells his people, shuv. If you, seek, if you ever come to a point in your life where you're wandering away from the Lord, Turn to him, shove. Turn to him, shove. Turn to him, shove. Three times in one chapter. Throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, they are constantly calling the people of God to turn back to God. 
28 times in the book of Jeremiah, the people of God are told to turn back to him. 20 times in Ezekiel, 10 times in Isaiah, 7 times in Hosea, 5 times in Amos, 3 times apiece in Zechariah and Malachi. Turn, 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 turn. God is constantly calling his people to repentance. Stop sinning and turn back to me. You belong to me, turn back to me. And with this, some people push back and go, okay, well, that's kind of an Old Testament thing. And we all know God was cranky in the Old Testament and loving in the New, right? So in the New Testament, God is loving and kind and forgiving. He knows you're imperfect and he loves you anyway. You're a beautiful butterfly. And your problem here is going to consistently be, I tell you this all the time, your big problem with lies is going to be the Bible. Because Jesus himself is huge on repentance. In fact, the New Testament begins and ends with Jesus calling you to repent. Jesus calling you to turn from your sin and turn to him. In Mark chapter 1, the very first sermon Jesus ever preaches, before he's healed anyone, before he multiplied any loaves and fishes, before he walked on the water, the very first thing he said was repent, for the kingdom of God is here now. And then you get to the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. There are seven letters written to seven different churches by Jesus. And in four of those seven letters, Jesus commands them to repent. It's very significant, and hear me. The Bible ends with Jesus calling his people to repent. Repent! In Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember where you used to be? Go back there. Repent. Revelation 2.16, repent. Revelation 2.22, this is Jesus saying this. Ready? Jesus, sweet, mild, loving, tender Jesus with two little baby angel cherubs on his shoulders. All right? Jesus. Jesus says in Revelation 2.22, I will throw you into great tribulation unless you repent. That's Jesus. I will throw you into great tribulation unless you repent. In Revelation 3.3, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. The Bible ends with Jesus calling for his people to see their sin and turn from their sin. And what I want us to see today is that repentance, quite literally, the road to revival is paved with repentance. Without genuine repentance of sin, there can be no genuine revival. It doesn't exist. So what is repentance? So the Greek word for repentance is metaneo. It quite literally means to change your mind. So I, I, I want to kind of to, to tear down some wrong thinking and correct it with some correct thinking. Okay, so repent, a biblical repentance does not mean there's a bad thing that you're doing and you need to quit doing it, so stop. Right? That's not repentance. Not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance, metaneo, a change of the mind, means this. The spiritual eyes of your heart open. You see God for who he really is. 
how glorious and awesome and beautiful and amazing and worthy, what a treasure He is. And because you see how great and awesome God is, your thinking changes. You want Him and not those stupid things you've been chasing anymore. You don't want that stuff. Biblical repentance is not God prying things from your hand that you're desperately trying to cling to. That's not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is you have the eyes of your heart open to see how glorious God is. And so you turn to him and let go of that trash. This is repentance. Uh, Theologian John MacArthur says it like this. And what is repentance but... The returning from the vanities of the world to the treasure of all that God is for us in Jesus. The point is, you've left God and you've gone after vain, silly, stupid things that cannot really sustain you and satisfy you. And genuine repentance is you seeing that, you turning from that, and you running after the treasure that is Jesus. Right? This, is, this is repentance. This is what we're after. This is the kind of repentance that brings revival, right? So how we're going to go through this idea of repentance is by looking in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 at the life of a man named Hezekiah. So real quick, so Hezekiah is king of Judah. Hezekiah's father Ahaz was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. Like he made sport out of how wicked he could be. He was so wicked, he burned his own children alive as a sacrifice to a false god. Right? He was wicked. One of his sons, Hezekiah, was able to escape that. Ahaz eventually dies, and Hezekiah takes his place. Now, the difference between Hezekiah and Ahaz is this. Hezekiah has seen how glorious God is. He's seen the glory of God. He's seen the beauty of God, and he wants that, and not those dumb things he saw his father chase. He doesn't want the sins of this world. He wants God, and he wants to lead his people to pursue God as well. And so what we're going to see specifically in 2 Chronicles 29 is this. So one of the things that Ahaz did in his sin was he defiled the temple of God. Right? He went in to the temple, if you know your Old Testament, is the place in which literally God dwelt on earth. It was considered holy. There's a place inside of that called the Holy of Holies where God's presence literally dwelt. This was a special, holy, sacred place where the people of God literally met God and sacrificed to God, and worshiped God, and saw God speak into their lives. But Ahaz defiled the temple of God. He used it to sacrifice to false gods. He defiled everything in it, made it dirty. Ultimately, he shut up, boarded up the temple, wouldn't even let anybody go in there. So Ahaz dies, Hezekiah rises to the throne and immediately starts seeking repentance. And the way he manifests that out is by opening up the temple of God. And so here's what we're going to see today. And I want you to see the parallel. It's really important. As we're seeing Hezekiah cleaning out the physical temple of God on earth so that it can be once again filled with the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, to minister to the people of God. In the same way as this, your Bible in 2 Corinthians is going to say, who is now the temple of God? The questions just get harder from here, guys. All right. There you go. We're rocking now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is going to say that you are the temple of God. 
If you have trusted by faith in Christ, if you have believed by faith in Jesus and entered into a covenant relationship with him, it's going to say that you are now the temple of the living God. God himself lives and dwells inside of you. And just like we see Hezekiah needing to clean out the physical temple on earth so that the Spirit of God can fill and empower and use, same with you and I. What we're going to see today is this. We desperately need to do the hard work of cleaning out the temple of God that is inside of you. Repenting of sin. Throwing out all that is defiling. So that the Spirit of God can fill you, empower you, and use you for His glory. Just like we're seeing the physical temple getting cleaned out, we're going to talk today about how you and I need to make sure the, the, the spiritual temple that is you temple of the living God through faith in Christ needs to be cleansed out for the glory of God. So let's look at a few things real quick, and then we'll circle back around and spend some time praying through this. What do we see here about sin and repentance? First is this. We must see the truth of our sin and our need for repentance. So as Hezekiah is going through this process of cleaning out the temple of God, in verse 6, he talks to the people, he talks to the priests about what's going on and why they need to do it. Look at how Hezekiah talks about sin. This is very important. See how he talks about sin. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 6. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. I need us to understand how serious God takes sin. Look at the way it's described. The word unfaithful literally means to cheat on your spouse. God equates you and I sinning with spiritual adultery. You have entered into a covenant relationship with God saying, I love you, you love me, and I'm going to be yours forever. You're going to be mine forever. Everything that I need, God, I'm just getting from you. And just like physical adultery with a husband and a wife, the idea is you've entered into a covenant and you say to your spouse, everything that I need mentally, emotionally, physically, I'm getting just from you and you alone. What's adultery? You're stepping out of that covenant relationship and seeking to find those things from someone else. And God equates sin the exact same way. Instead of getting just from God what you need to get from God, you go to trying to find that somewhere else. It's adultery. It's spiritual adultery. It also uses the word forsaken there. They have forsaken him. The word forsaken means to throw something away and abandon it like trash. When we sin, we are taking God, we're throwing him over our shoulders and we're abandoning him like a piece of trash. I don't need him anymore. It says here, they turn their faces and turn their backs. That's relational in language. This idea that I'm not in a relationship with you. I'm turning my back to you and I'm going another direction. I don't want to be with you anymore. You see the relational nature, how serious God takes sin. Spiritual adultery. Throwing him away, away like a piece of trash. Turning our backs on him and saying, I don't want you in my life anymore. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I would never say that. 
You don't say it, but that's the point I want you to understand. This is what your sin really is. What stops us from genuine repentance and spiritual power, listen very carefully, is that we minimize our sin so egregiously. We minimize it and trivialize it and mock it like it's no big deal. But I don't understand it is massive. In fact, I had a conversation recently with a retired missionary from China. And he related a conversation to me. Um, He had a conversation with a Chinese uh, Christian. And this Chinese Christian looked at him and said, Brother Jim, do you know why I think the Chinese underground church is vibrant and spiritually healthy and strong while the American church, even though they're free, is weak and spiritually apathetic? He said, no, but I'm interested He said, I think it's because Chinese Christians try to get as far away from sin as we possibly can, but American Christians try to figure out how close they can get to sin and still be okay. Right? I mean, every... We're just... Chinese Christians seek to live a life of repentance from sin, and we seek to live a life of acceptance to sin. And we trivialize it, and we minimize it, and we say it's not that bad. And that's why we never really repent, and that's why we never see a revival of God. Think about the way, look at the way Hezekiah describes their sin as adultery, as throwing God away like a piece of trash. Is turning our back on him and saying, I don't want you anymore. It's serious. We've got to see our sin for what it is. And then when we see it for what it is, we have to do something about it, which is the next thing I want you to see. We must pursue repentance. We must pursue repentance. Don't be passive. Don't be slow. Don't be apathetic. When you see sin in your life, grab it by the throat and kick it out. Pursue, chase repentance. Keep a low sin count. Stay close and clean to God. Throw sin out. Pursue repentance. And you see Hezekiah encouraging his people to do this very thing. Pick it up in verse 10. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Look at verse 11. My sons, do not now be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, to make offering to him. That word negligent in verse 11 is important. The word negligent means to... Be responsible for a thing, but, but not do it, right? Think about, um, so a child neglect is a felony. You go to jail for that, right? And so you should. But child neglect is a different form of child abuse. In child neglect, you're not actively seeking to harm the child. What you do in child neglect is you 
withhold something that child needs, and in, as a result of that, they're harmed. And he uses the exact same word here to describe us spiritually. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Are you guilty of spiritual neglect? There are things in your life that you know don't glorify God. There are things in your life that you know need to be removed. There are areas in your life in which you know you are not burning with white-hot passion for the glory and honor of God. You know it. You see it. You sense the apathy. You sense the lukewarmness. You seek just go, you, you feel yourself just kind of going through the spiritual motions. You know it's not right. You know it's not where you're supposed to be. But you just kind of keep doing it. It is spiritual neglect. And I, we need to hear, Hezekiah was warning his people of this. All right, you see what needs to be done. We see it, eyes wide open. We understand this. Now don't neglect to do it. It's not enough just to realize your sin. That doesn't get you brownie points with God. We do this a lot also in like accountability groups and small groups. Listen to me. You being honest and confessing your sin is awesome if you actually turn from it. I've been in so many groups like every week. Every week people are confessing the same sin. I'm like, I feel like we're missing a step. Like maybe you should, I don't know, stop doing that. You coming in here going, just being on, I'm just being real, man. I just, I just, I just keep looking at this. Well, well then stop. Then stop doing that. If you see that it's sin and you see that it's wrong and you see the glory of God is better than that, then turn from the sin and go to God. Like quit doing it. Stop being spiritually neglectful. And as he implored his people to do that, look what they did, verse 15. The priests, they consecrated themselves to cleanse the house of the Lord. Verse 16, the priests went to cleanse it. Verse 17, they began to consecrate. They consecrated the house of the Lord. Verse 18, they say, we have cleansed all the house of the Lord. Verse 19, all the utensils we have made ready and consecrated. The words consecrate or cleanse, or your translation may say something like sanctified and cleansed. Same thing. Sanctified, cleansed, these are used seven times in these five verses. The word uh, uh, sanctify or consecrate means to set it apart as holy. Cleanse means to purify it. And what do they do? Here's what they did. Listen. They saw the need. They did not neglect the need. They then went in the temple and spent weeks pulling everything out that's defiling and throwing it away. They worked hard around the clock to make sure that temple is clean. Anything that has been touched by something that might defile it, we're ripping it out. We don't want it anymore. We don't want it in our life anymore. We don't want to be around it anymore. We're cleaning everything out, and this is the command of God to you and I. See sin for what it is and clean it out. This is why Jesus says in the New Testament, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. Now, what does that mean? We're not going to pull out hatchets for the invitation, all right? Like, all right, we're people of the book, let's go, all right? Fire poker's over here, hatchet's over here, let's go. For the record, um, one of the early church fathers, Origen, took that verse literally. He had a lust problem, so he castrated himself. 
That's not our team, all right? Just so, just so you know. But the point is this. If you, sin, if you see sin for what it is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to see it ripped out of your life? If you believe sin for what it really is, and you believe God's glory for what it truly is, are you willing to do anything you have to do Anything you have to do to pluck that out and run to him. Don't be neglectful. Don't just stand around and go, I know, gosh, golly gee. Like, are you willing to cleanse your heart? And it's hard and it's ugly and it's difficult, but it's needed. And and then, again, this doesn't end. The New Testament teaches us this, James 4, 8 Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And he's telling you, hey, sinner, clean your hands. Hey, you double-minded person that keeps saying you want to honor God, but you don't actually do it. Purify your heart, cleanse yourself, set yourself apart, consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself, draw a line in the sand. I will not do this anymore. Delete apps off your phone, break up relationships, cancel your internet, whatever. Now, are those the answer? No, we'll talk about what the answer truly is in a second. But the point is, are you willing to do anything to be clean? Anything to be clean. It's all worth it. Whatever it takes. Cut off my hand, poke out my eye. I don't care. I want Jesus. And if that is going to cause me to stumble, I want it gone. I don't want it. I want him more than anything. That's the point. Why? Why would we pursue Jesus like this? Well, because of this. True repentance and forgiveness is only possible through the blood. So, here's what I mean by that. Um, again, Christian repentance is not just seeing something you shouldn't do and trying hard not to do it. Christian repentance is you've cheated on God. You've turned your back on God. You've wadded God up and thrown him over your shoulder and said, I don't want him anymore. And because of that, listen to me, you deserve to die. You deserve for the full, complete, total wrath of God to fall on you. Every sin ever committed is a capital offense. Everyone, from a tiny little kid with crumbs all over their face saying, I didn't steal a cookie, to mass murder. Every sin ever committed is a capital offense. and You and I deserve to die. That's the truth. But God in his grace sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in your place and soak up the full wrath of God and shed his blood so that you can be set free. You deserve that. I deserve that. But he allowed a sacrifice to be put in its place. 
This idea of blood, we're going to see it down here in verse 22. Let's start there. And I want you to see the amount of blood going on here. It's a little gross. Visualize it. Here we go. Verse 22. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering, and their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. What's up with all the blood, man? Come on. Can you imagine? As you read through 2 Chronicles 29, it tells you the amount of animals that they slaughtered. It was a bloodbath. They're slaughtering these animals, they're taking their blood, and they're throwing it all over the walls. It's like a horrible 80s horror movie in there. Blood's everywhere. And you go, what is up with that? Here's why. The reason there's so much blood is because you and I deserve to die. Sin brings death, Romans 3, 23. For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The consequences for your sin is death. But God in his grace said, instead of you dying, I'm going to let you give a sacrifice as a substitute in your place. Instead of you experiencing the wrath, instead of you dying for your sin, I'm going to allow you to let an animal die in your place as an understanding that death must be given to atone for sin. I deserve, the whole point of this sacrifice is, I deserve to be the one right there with my throat slit. I deserve that. I'm worthy of that. But God in His grace, let there be a sacrifice in my place. And this is where Jesus comes in. Because the Bible is going to tell us that the blood of goats and bulls isn't enough to really cleanse our hearts. It kind of allowed humanity to push, push pause on the wrath of God, but it didn't actually take away the wrath of God. And this is why we needed Jesus. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. I'll read that to you. It's on the screen. Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? You see there in the end of verse 14, the perfect shed blood of Jesus is what makes it possible to have your conscience cleansed so that you can turn from sin and finally serve God now. There is no repentance without blood. There is no repentance without blood. And the whole point is this, not again that there's a bad thing, I need to stop doing it, so I'm going to try my best to quit doing that. The question is this, listen, have you seen the sacrifice of Jesus for what it is? Have you seen truly that you deserved to die? You were guilty of a capital offense against God. 
And you were worthy of that death. But Jesus, Jesus stepped in your place. And even though you deserve to have the full wrath of God fall on your head and your blood be spilt, he stepped in your place and allowed the wrath of God to fall on him and his blood be spent so that you can have a substitute in your place and you be forgiven. So you see the sacrifice of Jesus for what it is. And this is what drives us. This is now what drives us to true, genuine repentance. Do you see? Have the eyes of your heart been opened to see the unbelievable sacrifice of Christ that allows you to be set free from your sin? Repent. And then last, I just want to show you that repentance brings joy. We see this happening with the people of God. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 36. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people for the thing came about suddenly. And then chapter 30, verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. A great revival came about and it came about quickly. One of the quickest revivals recorded in Scripture. Hezekiah came in uh, doing his reforms in month one of his reign. And by month three, revival had swept the entire country. Revival is, is brought by repentance. You want to see the Spirit of God come alive in you. Repent of your sin. You say, well, I don't feel God. I don't really feel like reading my Bible. I don't really sense the Lord like I used to. I'm going to bet... There's sin you need to repent of. Your temple is defiled, and you've got to clean it. Which brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to ask our band to come up as we look at this. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So look at what he's calling us to there. Cleansing ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. But that first line is important. Since we have these promises. Well, what are the promises? Right? What are the pro- Evidently, there are some great, amazing promises that if we realize them, we're going to run after God in repentance. So what are those promises? Well, let's back up to chapter 6. And let's start in verse 16. And I want you to listen if you can hear some buzzwords that we've covered already. All right, Listen for the temple of God and all these things. All right, Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He says, look, I've made you through the sacrifice of Jesus. I've made you my dwelling place. I've made you my people. I've made you my sons and my daughters. 
I've brought you out of that sin. I've brought you out of that defilement. And I've made you mine. I've made you clean. I've sprinkled you clean by the Holy Spirit. You are new now. As a result of that, please step out from among them. Stop touching unclean things. That's not who you are anymore. It's not your identity. You are the dwelling place of God himself. You are sons and daughters of God himself. You have been made new by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And then you get to chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, brothers and sisters, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Because we know who we are, as people made new by Jesus, made the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, sons and daughters of God, brand new in Him, because that's true, because Jesus paid the price to buy me and redeem me out of my sin. Since that's true of me, I'm cleansing myself from everything. Everything. I'm not letting any defiling thing touch me. I'm walking in holiness and purity for the glory of God. And when something unholy does creep into my heart and mind, I'm immediately grabbing it and throwing it out. I don't want it. I don't want it to linger. I don't want it to stay. I don't want it to rent space in my brain. I'm kicking it out because I am new. I'm the dwelling place of God. I'm the temple of God. And since that's true of me, I'm kicking out every form of defilement. This is what repentance means. This is what repentance is. You've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Throw out everything that does not glorify and honor Him. So, as we end today, band's going to play you're just going to sit and pray. You can come up front and pray. You can pray with someone that's with you, whatever you'd like. But we're not going to have you stand and sing. We want you to focus on just time with the Lord. We're asking God to show us the things in our own hearts that need to be thrown out. Let's just be honest. Come on. Take time today and say, God, search my heart and throw away everything that does not bring glory and honor to you. And I want you to notice the consistent theme of the Bible is not that you just say, oh gosh, I see that, God. Please get that out of me. You cleanse yourself through the power of God, the anointing of the Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus. You repent of sin. You cleanse your heart. You purify your hands from every defilement. Don't let the smallest thing escape. The attitudes, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the, the self-righteousness, the easily being angered. Don't let any defilement stay. You've been made new. It doesn't belong in you anymore. What place does, this, does the temple of God have with idols? It doesn't belong. You've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. 
throw it out for God's glory. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, I just pray over us right now that you would do this. James 5 says that if we confess our sins one to another, we may be healed. So I pray, God, for those in the room that may need help. They may need to go to a brother and sister and say, look, I have this sin and I need to be set free, but it's a hard thing. Can you pray for me and help me? I pray that you would do that here in this place. I pray, God, that you would show us sin. I pray, God, you'd show us things that we need to turn from and repent from and run away from. We would not be okay with thinking, how close can I get with sin and still technically be all right? But we will run from it with everything that we have. We will not try to see how close we can get to sin. We will try to see how far away we can possibly get. I pray, God, that we would just be a people that crave, crave, holiness like an addiction we are addicted to being holy and we just want to run after you and away from this world do this in us Jesus for your glory thank you that you redeemed us you made us new and you paid the price so that we can be forgiven and repent do this in us today in your name Jesus amen
just thank you. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness that you empower us to be able to repent of our sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. May we be a people who actively seeks to glorify and honor you by walking in holiness and repentance. We see sin and there's going to be sin in every one of us see it, we turn from it, and we run to you. Do this in this Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week. See you next Sunday. song